One thing that uh, marks this time of year, maybe more so than any other year, it seems like um, the kindness meter goes up a little bit. Amen? <laughs> um, the holiday seasons are wonderful. We know that so much of go, what goes on isn't really necessarily to honor the Lord, but it is a great time of year when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. I often have said that maybe this is a time of year where you and I as people get a little bit closer to what it means to be the people that we're supposed to be. It reminds me of a story that I came across about the 68-year-old lady. Um, her, her name was Elsie Holdren, and she was a security guard. Um, seems she was too nice and too courteous and too kind in her position. So addressing the issue as it related to her job her supervisor wrote, due to your caring and giving nature, you are compromising your position as a security officer. Being caring and giving is not a job requirement, nor is it what you are paid to do. And she found herself transferred to a new position and a new location within the company. You know, most people are not going to be fired for being too kind. Um, it's going to be because they're not kind enough that they're going to be fired. But um, we can understand uh, that story and the seriousness of that position. It's kind of funny. But kindness and politeness and being courteous um, are important things, aren't they? And it's kind of where our passage is going to take us this morning. That's why I wanted to start with that illustration as we really see the kindness of David being shown and more importantly, the kindness of God that is being shown. It's the major theme, if you will, of this chapter. We've all said it at one time or another that where would I be without and then you fill in the blank. And I hope this morning as believers in Christ, we can also say, where would I be if it hasn't been and for the kindness of God? Amen? Amen. So our passage, and really it's a story. Christmas is a time of stories, isn't it? But just because it's a story doesn't mean it's not true. Our passage, this story that we find ourselves in today, is a picture. It's even a type, if you will. There's types in the Old Testament that point to the New Testament. They point to the truths of the New Testament. They point to Jesus Christ. And so our passage today is that type of thing that points to the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the grace of God, and hopefully we will understand this morning before we leave that God desires you and I to know that one, he is a kind God and we would know what the kindness of God is. Now, let me help you understand where we're at. We're not going through the book of First and Second Samuel in the men's study on Tuesday night. We are actually doing the life of David and going through these passages. But as we come to chapter 9 in 2 Samuel, here is the background, if you will. David now is on the throne. And if you know the story of David, you know there was a time when um, Saul was the first king of Israel. And then Saul was told that you will not be king for very much longer. And David was the one who was going to be king. But there'd be a period before David actually took the throne. So as we come to 9, he's actually on the throne now. Um, any internal stuff going on within the kingdom or the, the, the king's house and any opposition, external stuff going on has been put down. Uh, David has secured the land that God had given to the nation of Israel. Uh, enemies have been driven out. 
And the king was over the entire nation, if you will. And there was this element of peace. And he found himself then, and you could relate to this. I, I encourage you to try to picture the scriptures, put yourself into the account, into the story. And so he found himself thinking about a promise that he had made at one time in his life. And that promise was to his good friend, Jonathan, one of Saul's son who had been killed with Saul on the battlefield. And so to be mindful of anyone that was still alive, that was of the house of Saul when Saul reigned. And so it wasn't just about David keeping his word and keeping a promise. This passage is also about, we see David showing the kindness of God to another person. So look at verse one as we pick it up. And David said, and so he's speaking to somebody within his household, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake, for this friend of his, one of Saul's son? And that takes us back to the first book of Samuel at verse 20, verse 6, 15 and 16, where we read this, Jonathan speaking, do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off everyone of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. And that covenant was that I will take care of anybody left of the house of Saul. And so David then inquires here in verse one, is anyone left of the house of Saul? And that's a question kings would ask. They would ask it for another reason than David is asking it. Kings wanted to know if there was anybody left of the former dynasty, because you know what I'm going to say, he would kill them. He didn't want any competition. He didn't want any threat to his kingdom. And so that's normally what would happen. But in this case, the story is a little different because David wants to know, is there anybody left? And he says it right there our first time, verse one, that I may show him kindness. Verse two, now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So this servant, it seems like, is now serving in under David's rule that I may show the kindness of God to him. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan and he is crippled in his feet. And so note just a few things as you look at those verses. First of all, David learns there is actually somebody alive from the dynasty, the reign of Saul when Saul was king. In fact, he learns now that it is one of Jonathan's son. And that would have meant the world to David. David and Jonathan had this special relationship. You know that. And they had to separate as Jonathan's dad, Saul, pursued David and tried to kill him. But he learns that. And then he learns this interesting fact that he is crippled in both feet. And then for a second time, he says, I want to show them kindness. But notice in your scripture, this time he says, I want to show them the kindness of God. And the world is... Being kind and showing kindness is kind of a popular thing in our world today. But you and I as believers, what we want to show is we want to show kindness, but we want it to be coming from God himself and the kindness of God and the love of God working through our lives. And that's what he does. And so um, note carefully that it says he was crippled in both Feet. And that's going to be part of our story today. But that happened back in 2 Samuel 4 4 when Jonathan, the son of Saul, he had a son, it says, who was crippled in his feet. 
He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. In other words, that Saul had been slain on the battlefield. Jonathan had died on the battlefield. And so anybody in the household is thinking they're coming for us. Let's get out of here. And the son is taken, the grandson, if you will, by his nurse, took up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. And so we don't know how it happened. All we do know is this, that they didn't have a fraction of what we have today when it comes to help with medical issues and things like this. And so somehow this child at five years old was dropped, broke the legs, and then it seems the best way to interpret is they didn't know what to do. They just healed that way. But it caused him them to be lame the rest of his life and walk around with this. And here's the interesting thing, you guys. It speaks of our condition before God, not physically, but in a spiritual sense. You and I, if you will, are crippled spiritually until we come to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ takes care of that. Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. That's pretty clear. Nobody lives up to and possesses the righteousness that God has and that God requires. And Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so this account of Mephibosheth, if you will, is a picture of you and I and all mankind um, that we are crippled, if you will. We are lame spiritually and we are in need what Jesus Christ offers. As we look at this passage, keep a couple things in mind. Where are you and I in the passage? Do you, under, do you ask yourself that question? Do you see you in the passage where you're at? You and I are Mephibosheth. That's who we are to identify with at first. We are Mephibosheth. We are lame. We are broken. We are in need of somebody to come and bring healing to our lives, bring salvation to our lives. The other thing, though, is don't miss this, is having come to Christ and we then are partake of the things of Christ and we start to become a new creature there's an aspect where we are also to be like David. And so David can point to us and say, we are to be people who show kindness. We are to be people who are mindful of others and are acting on God's behalf. And so verse four, the king said to him, where is he? Where is this Mephibosheth? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel at Lodabur. And the king, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekur, the son of Emil at Lodabur. And so Ziba, interesting, and it maybe shouldn't surprise us, he knows right where to find this relative of Saul. In other words, he might have had something to do with helping him get up there. I don't, we don't know. But he knew there was a relative and he knew where it's at. And you expect that from this head servant of the house of Saul that was still alive. We're told he's a son of Jonathan, and he's residing in this interesting place called Lodabur. And so he's living a great distance from Jerusalem. If you could picture the Holy Land map in your mind, I could have put one up, but I didn't put it up. Um, if you picture Jerusalem, and then you'd have the Dead Sea down a little bit, and then you go up, and you're going to hit the Sea of Galilee. If you come just below the Sea of Galilee and head east a little bit, that is where this city is at. And pretty much all Jerusalem is a very barren region other than where there's irrigation and they're growing the crops that they're growing today. But he is in this place that is really a great distance from Jerusalem. 
And in a way, maybe that would make it harder for anybody that wanted to take his life to do so. They'd have to come and find him. It's a barren place, like I said, east of the Jordan. It's in what we know was the territory of the tribe of Manasseh. But it was a non-Israelite city that he finds himself in. And the, the name of the city literally means not a pasture, no pasture, or the place of nothing. And that shouldn't surprise us because often with the word, we're going to study actual accounts, actual places that took, in, that took place in a time and day, and yet they're pointing to something else. So here you have the name of a city. It was a real city that existed. People lived in it. People went, traveled to and from it, and so forth and so on. But we see it also stands for something spiritually, that place where there wasn't a pasture, there's no pasture, the place of nothing. And so here's another great picture for us that Lodabar, and two pictures so far, that we would understand our state as being crippled, but it is that barren place. It's a picture of life without Jesus. It's barren and it's void of real meaning of life. And the one without Christ is living in that barren existence in need of the life, the real life, the spiritual life that Christ brings, right? Now, this is interesting. If you've given your life to Christ, I hope that you are living in that place where, if you will, you are at the table and you are finding your nourishment, your strength from God, his word, prayer, the things of God. You know also it's possible to be in Christ and actually be, be living without drawing from him and who he is. And we all know that, don't we? I wish we could say, there could be a few of you in this room that could say, never has happened. Ever since I've come to Christ, I've loved him with all my heart, soul, and mind with a passion. But a lot of us will have seasons where all of a sudden our walk with the Lord can grow distance. And that is a, that's something we want to consider here too. Um, we could find ourselves in that place of nothingness. We have made decisions that are actually pulling us away from the real life and the flow of the river of Christ, if you will, in our life. It could be that we have entered into, willfully, into sinful practices. And we know it. We might even be into sinful practices where at times we confess them, but we then just keep doing them. That is pulling away from where the Lord would have us be. It could be the neglecting of Scripture, thinking, well, what do I need to do that for? Or a prayer and that relationship and that walk with the Lord Jesus. And so we, in a sense, we could say we're not dining regularly at the king's table, are we? And I would encourage you today that if you're here and that describes you, I don't know who you are. I have nobody in mind. So I'm not picking on anybody, okay? I understand when our walks could go dry and we kind of aren't walking the way we're supposed to walk. Well, take it this morning as an invitation from the Lord and the Holy Spirit and Pastor Scott <laughs> to come back to come back to that place. That's where he wants you. So verse six, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. And so we've already mentioned this, but now his name appears where we see the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, is this man, named Mephibosheth. And at this time, he's a man. 
He was five when he fled, but years have passed and he has grown up. And so this is Mephibosheth and he's a crippled, if you will. And there's no doubt that uh, those that had this type of condition in those days, there was great suffering that went along with that. And notice as he comes before David, he fell on his face. You know what that means? That means he bowed as low as you can bow. He bowed completely down and answered the words, behold, I am your servant. Can you put yourself in the passage? I can picture this man, Mephibosheth. And it's interesting, how was he even brought before David? It seems like either there were some type of crutches or his, he had people that would bring him before David. And the minute he gets there, he might not even had a choice but to go down to his knees. But he goes all the way down and bows. And you could hear these words that I think are words full of great respect. Possibly there's fear behind them. And he says, as his name is called by David, he says, behold, I am your servant. In other words, he is completely humble, and he knows who it is that he is now standing before. And think of all that could have been running through this young guy's or whatever age he might have been mine. He had once been part of the dynasty of Saul. Now he is living away from the glory, if you will, of Jerusalem and where God is working in a sense. He's living in this barren place, you know. And so you can imagine what's going through his mind. You think at times he thought, gee, I, I wonder what would happen if my grandfather wasn't slayed and he was still king and if, if my nurse didn't drop me and I wasn't crippled and so forth and so on. He's been hiding in a place called Lodabur and his life, if you will, is hidden. And when men of David arrived, do you imagine what went through his mind? I don't know if there was a knock on the door or whatever, how it happened, but all of a sudden there are, there are parties that Ziba takes a team, it seems like, up there or sends somebody up there to get him, and you could just imagine as they arrive what must start to go through his mind now. Why are they here? Why am I being summoned to Jerusalem? And so it would have been a slow journey by our standard because they didn't have automobiles like we travel in, and he had plenty of time to think, what's going on? What's happening to me? And see, David knows that he wants to show him kindness. But we're not given any indication that he knows that at this point. So that's then a third thing, you guys, that comes up here. Is number one, we want to make sure we focus that what the crippleness means in this passage to us, that we're lame. We want to understand the barren place. But now the third thing is we need to realize that humility and humbleness is to be a mark on our lives that you and I are called to be servants. That's not a popular thing in our culture, is it? Our culture is one that tells us to think about yourself. It's all about you. Promote yourself. Become somebody. And it doesn't say anything. It's okay to be a nobody, to be humbled, to serve quietly. See? And it's a great reminder to us. The obvious is with the with Mephibosheth, when in verse 6, he's coming face to face with David, and he falls on his face and pays homage. So we see the humility and the, the humbleness in him. The NET says he bowed low with his face toward the ground. And the NLT says he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And so that's a sense of what's going on here. And we might think, well, anyone is in his position is going to do that. I hope you and I would do that if we found ourselves in this, this situation. But you know what? He remains humble. 
he is told, he learns what David is going to do. I'll read it in just a minute, verse 7. But look at verse 8. After he learns that David's going to restore the land to him, and he paid homage and said, think about that. All of a sudden he knows, I'm not going to be killed. All that was my grandfather's is going to be mine now. And he says he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should regard, show regard for a dead dog such as I? You know, this takes a little bit of explaining here because in our culture, we love dogs. Now, I know there's some of you in this room that don't like dogs and you like cats, but we forgive you, okay? <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a dog guy. Right now, we're without a dog. We've had dogs for years. We lost one about a year ago, and we just decided to take a break. You know, it's just, if you've ever, if you've ever had an animal, a dog or a cat, for a long period of time, tough stuff when they go, isn't it? But anyway, um, so we love them. But in this culture that we're talking about, um, when he says, I'm like a dead dog, he's saying, I'm worthless, I'm nobody. Chuck Sundahl says the name Mephibosheth means one who scattered shame, scatters shame. The idea is one who is despised and held in contempt. A laughingstock, a shameful thing, a humiliation, if you will. And so we can understand that that's how this poor man Mephibosheth was seen. And we can understand that, can't we? I mean, you could imagine in these days how one, we see it in the time of Christ, the, the blind and the lame and how most of their life, they, they were just, they, they were in that place where they had to beg all the time. They were the outcasts of society. You know, even today we see that. And hopefully we, we understand that things happen to people and we have compassion for those that might have physical limitations and things like that. And so even though it isn't popular in our day, how crucial it is, though, you guys, this, that in our own, we see that in our own strength and our own wisdom and abilities that we really are nothing. We could use that term that we are worthless, if you will. See how that is hard to receive? Because everything we hear today is just about this positive stuff about you're not worthless. And in a sense, you aren't worthless. I mean, you are valuable in Christ's eye. And he wants to bring worth to your life. But until we see ourselves as like that person that is worthless, there's nothing in us, in our self, in our own ability to make us worthy before God. We will not see our need for Christ. And I don't know if anybody here today that that is where you're at. But I'll tell you, I'd encourage you, don't go too much longer where you keep thinking that in your own strength and by your own goodness and by your own abilities that you will make it because it's only when we finally see like Mephibosheth and we bow low and say, I am your servant, that we then will see that our sin will be dealt with in Christ. Mephibosheth's humility is obvious, isn't it, um, here? But I want to show you something else. I've had more time to look at the passage. This is the first you've had today, this week. But David and Ziba are examples as well. By seeking Mephibosheth and not killing him, you see an aspect of humility and humbleness in David's life. I think the Lord is speaking to David and that he had made a promise and he's going to fulfill that promise. And he's not just fulfilling it by the letter of the law. He loved Jonathan. and he's, Now he has a chance to, to bring one of Jonathan's sons back to the place where you know, he belonged. 
And so we see it in David, um, this humility, if you will, not killing the... But you see it in Ziba too, because this servant of the Lord, he does what he's told to do. And so it's a good reminder. I think something that you and I can never be reminded of too much, that we are to be humble and have humility and be servants of the Lord. Amen? You can feel that, can't you? Anybody else besides me struggle with your flesh? Any given week, do you ever think about yourself more than you should? Or do you ever feel sorry for yourself when others don't think of you like you think they should think of you, right? See, it's alive and real, isn't it? And so we need God's word. And we need to be reminded that the Lord would have us be humble and have humility and be servants. I think of the Lord is our greatest example, isn't it? In Philippians 2, 5 and 8, you know this passage where it says, Paul writing says, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, you, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. And that is our example. If the Lord... God the Son could humble himself, we can humble ourselves. The word servant, look at verse 6 there, do you see it? The word servant in verse 6 can actually be translated, if you look into any Greek tools, you'll find this out, as bondservant. Bondservant speaks of someone who is bound to another, tied to another, obligated to another. Um, it can be translated slave as well. And I actually like that. I'm glad we kind of got away from that because all the horrible stuff attached to uh, slavery and stuff. But when I think of being a servant and I think of being a slave, I get two different images in my mind. Uh, with servant, for some reason, I think I have a choice whether I want to serve or not. And that's true, we do. But when I think of slavery or slave, I think of there is no choice. It is what I'm supposed to do and I need to do it. And so a slave is one who was owned by another for that person's benefit to serve them. And if we are in Christ, you guys, we are to be humble servants, one who helps in the service of another and serves other. And so let me just gently ask you this question. It's just between you and the Lord. Do you put others over yourself? Do you serve others? Is there an element of humility and humbleness in your life? Okay, verse 7 and David said to him, I love this now, put yourself back in the passage. You're in, let's say, maybe it's a room of one of the, the palace. And David said to him, this crippled man on his knees before, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Knowing anything, anyone in this place would have been terrified. I'm sure Mephibosheth, and that's why David says, do not fear. David understood that. David understood what's going on here. He understood that Mephibosheth might be thinking he's, it's his last hours. And so he says, don't fear. I'll show you kindness. And so this is the third time we've seen that word kindness. Look at it. Verse one, we saw it. Verse 2, we saw it again, but then it was added the kindness of God. So it was, if you will, clarify it or define what we're talking about. And then this third time now, it comes out here in 
verse 7. And those who study the word, those great men and women of God who have studied the word, they've given their life to the word, they know the original languages, everything is, they tell us this about this when this happens in the scriptures. That when you're in a passage of this, of just some 13 verses, which is actually very small compared to the entire Bible, and you find a word mentioned three times, you should pay attention to it. It's not an accident that it appears three times. And I love that because I think the Lord is saying something to all of us this morning about how important the kindness of God is. Kindness here has the idea of this, if you looked it up in the Greek. It carries with it the idea it includes mercy and goodness and favor. And you could add to it, it's loving kindness. In other words, kindness with love, if you will. Kindness flowing from and filled with love. And man, don't you love it when someone shows you kindness? Man. It just gets me excited. I just love it when someone does that. You know, it's such a blessing. And here David is such a great picture of the Lord. Listen to David's words. And if, if I can, can I paraphrase a little bit right here? And you go with me and you picture David when he says, do not fear for I will show you kindness. Just let me add to that. He says, Mephibosheth, do not fear. Don't be afraid. And is Mephibosheth looking up now, making eye contact with David? He says, don't be terrified. My intent is to show you nothing but kindness, for you are the son of one that meant so much to me, your, your precious father, Jonathan. Not to mention, Mephibosheth, a great kindness has been shown to me by God, and I want to do the same to you. And I love these moments in Scripture. I love that the Lord gives us these powerful moments in Scripture where you see fear and terror and uncertainty and it gets replaced as the power of God works. You love that, don't you? Hopefully you've experienced that in your life where you've been going through something and you're crying out to God and all of a sudden peace comes over you. You know, about three years ago, there was something happening with me and my wife and our lives and we were going through something. And I don't want to get into the details of that. That's not the point. But my point is what I just said. As we're going through this and wondering what you're doing, Lord, and we're trying to discern the Lord's will, one night the Lord spoke to me. And it wasn't audible or anything there. He just gave an answer. And I remember going to my wife. I said, hey, listen, I think the Lord just answered what we're going through. And I, I had such a peace and calm over me when it happened. And when I told my wife, the same thing happened. And I think that's what the Lord wants us to go through as well. And when we see passages like this. Another passage, can I give you one more? It's got to be one of my favorite New Testament stories is when Mary Magdalene, and you know about her, and if you don't, you could look up later. She's at the tomb of Jesus after uh, he had been risen. She doesn't know that. And she comes to the tomb and the stone is rolled away. And she learns that he's not in there. See, they didn't catch the, about the resurrection until the resurrection happened. Then they realized what Jesus had been saying. But she's full of grief. She's full of confusion. She's full of fear. And we read in Matthew, John 20, starting at verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Now, you got to picture that. I don't think this was just a tear coming down the eye. I think this is one who had been forgiven much and loved much. 
and her Lord and Savior, one who had showed her a kindness she had never known in her life is missing. And she's weeping outside the tomb. She turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Why? I don't know. Was it because of the tears? Was it because, did he look in a way that she couldn't identify him? But Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing it would be the gardener. So all she could think of is he's a gardener. And she said to him, so she doesn't understand who he is. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And then here it is, verse 16, you guys. Great passage. Don't ever forget this. Jesus said to her, Mary. And what does it say? She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She knew what Mary coming off the lips of Jesus sounded like. She had heard it before. She is in this horrible situation. Where is he? What have you done with him? Please tell me where he is. And with one word, Mary, it all turned. And that's what we find here with Mephibosheth. We find this poor man crippled. What a horrible existence back in those days it must have been. And now he comes before the king that could give one order and his life could be gone. And he says, do not fear. I will show you kindness. Oh, wouldn't you like to have been there? Wouldn't you like to have a video of that on Instagram? You know, just to watch all of a sudden the countenance of Mephibosheth Jane and the joy that was probably in David's eyes and stuff as it was taking place. And in our passions, it's kind of that type of moment where fear, confusion, uncertainty is met with wasn't expected, the kindness of God. You guys, that is the kind of Lord and Savior we serve and have given our life to. He is the one that will meet the challenges of our life, the horrible things of our life. He will bring the unexpected. And maybe this morning, this is what you need to understand. You know, I was thinking, as I, I don't teach here often, but I tend to kind of migrate to passages that I'm reminding you that God loves you. And if you've sat under my teaching a couple times, you'll probably go, yeah, you do that, Scott, but we kind of like it. Well, I'm saying that. You might not like it. <laughs> but anyway, I, I just think that this morning, can I avoid that? Can I go through a passage that three times have used the word kindness and not remind all of us, especially those of you today, that you're not feeling the love of God, that God wants to show his kindness to you? This world can be unloving, can't it? And we know that what we mean, we mean people can be unloving. Circumstances can cause it, and so forth and so on. And so if you're here today, I would want to encourage you and, and build you up by letting you know that God loves you and the kindness of God is there for you. And he wants to show his kindness. God never, you know, do what we sometimes do with people or with our kids about, you know, getting something out of them. I think God is just dying to show us his kindness. And I think oftentimes he's shown us his kindness and we're missing it when it's actually right there in front of us. And so even though it's David speaking in verse 1, he says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? It's a picture and a reminder of the heart of God for mankind. David said, is there anyone left? And in that case, he's a type of the Lord, if you will. 
is there anybody out there that doesn't know me? It's a picture, it's a reminder of the heart of God. Luke says in 19.10, for the Son of Man came to who it? To seek and to save the lost. And I hope you're saying that was me. He sought me out. He saved me. Matthew 11.28, come to me all who labor, all who are weary and heavy laden, who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And that's what we see here. It's God's invitation, a picture of God's invitation. This is also a sense in which we are to have that same heart, like I said earlier. Notice David is concerned about others. Ziba goes out to reach one who is far away. And I would encourage you and challenge you this morning, do you have the passion, the desire to reach others who need to know Christ? Is there a sense in which that there is a side of David in you and you want to be like that? Listen, we, we, we miss great blessings, don't we? When we, don't, when we fail to forget about ourselves and we go and we serve other people. I'm amazed of how often when you serve, and at times you might serve and you're thinking, I really don't want to do this, but you're going to do it. That's okay, you know? And when it's all said and done, you're saying, I'm so glad I did that. And I have been so blessed by doing that, see? And so that comes out here. Well, let's finish the passage. Nine, then King David called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, so now he has told Mephibosheth, I'm going to give you back your father's land or your grandfather's, but now he's going to tell Ziba what to do. Saul's servant and said to him, all that belongs to Saul and to all his house, I give to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat, but Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, and that's a great but, if you will. I love the buts of scripture. I know that sounds funny, but I do, because there's a contrast. Here's what's going to happen. You and your household are going to do this, but understand this, with Mephibosheth, this one that you've brought now into my house, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table, now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And I think that's just said there to understand that he had a crew that could take care of what he's being told to do. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king, commands, there's humility, there's servanthood, his servant. So will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the David's table like one of the king's son. Do I need to show you there that that's a picture of you and I? That's what the Lord wants to do for us. And Mephibosheth, verse 12, had a son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. And so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, number one. He always ate at the king's table. And isn't it funny, the passage isn't going to let us go without pointing out again that he was lame in both feet. And I'm not saying this for sure, but do you wonder... Did God say that twice in this passage and end the passage this way because he really was given a message to more that would be so far beyond to you and I that there's a lameness in you? And so Ziba learns David's intent and we, we might think that he got the short end, him and his family, because they are the ones that got to make it happen. But in the provision of Mephibosheth, they are provided for. And maybe it says to us that God has a plan and provision for all of us. Can I say that again? You could be in that place today where you're thinking, 
it doesn't look very bright right now for me or my family. And this is what's going on. Listen, you are not off the radar of the Lord as his child. He knows where you're at. He will provide for you. And maybe it says to us that God has a plan and provision for all of us. And don't focus on so-and-so. Don't focus on the circumstances, but keep close to the king. And you too will be blessed from his provision. And how far Mephibosheth hath come because of the kindness of God. He had come from Lodabar, so far away from Jerusalem to Jerusalem. And now where is he? He is at a seat at the king's table forever. Do I need to remind us this morning? Can I remind us this morning that this is not where we'll be forever? We serve a king, Jesus Christ, who is coming. And one day he will take you and I, his church, to be with him that we could be with him forever. And so I know sometimes if you're like me, it's like, Lord, can we kick up the time scale a little bit? You know, like later today? <laughs> But we need to understand that. That God has, wants to bring us to that place where he wants to feed us. You know, sometimes I have to say this, we don't want to. Maybe we feel there, God has been unfair in our lives. Maybe there's been a great hurt and there's blame in our life. If we, if we say, if there was a God and you fill in the blank... We've all had at least one or two things in our life where that's happened. Have you? I remember it didn't happen much early on when I lost a brother. It happened just really minor. I never really did blame God. Um, but things like that happen. Things happen in our life when we could blame God. If there was a God and then you fill in the blank and the choices are so. Notice it seems like Mephibosheth could have said, no, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go to see and stand before the king. But I would tell you today that if you're in that place and you describe it however you need to describe it in your life, if you have moved away from you know where God wants you to be, why don't you come back? Come back to that place. Come back to his table. He invites you to do that. You know, pages, the pages of scriptures are filled. This is an invitation. They're filled with God's invitation to come to him, aren't they? We don't always look at it this way, but they're all over his word where he gives us that invitation to come back. And maybe this morning, you are not at that place you need to be and God wants you to come back. The place, if you come to the king's table, watch this. It's the place where shame is gone. That's for Mephibosheth. Acceptance and forgiveness and grace are flowing like the covering of a tablecloth one finds all their life needs. And don't miss, it's no accident when it says this, he always ate at the king's table and he was lame. And if you don't see it, here's the picture of this passage. The theme is kindness. But here in the table that Mephibosheth is brought to, you and I get a picture of the cross. It's we bring our lameness, we bring our brokenness, we bring our horribleness, our sin, our vileness, if you will. And even if that doesn't describe us, you are still not righteous enough to meet God's standard. We come to that cross and it's as if we are scooting up to a table and the cross hides our lameness. And so it's such a powerful passage. I think of Psalm 103, 12, which says as far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. 
I'm sure there's a few of us in this room this morning that we know some transgressions we've committed. It could be that we've gone to the Lord more than once and asked forgiveness and they're back. We need to understand that oftentimes it would seem according to that verse, as far as the east is from the west, who does remove our transgressions from us, that are we the ones reminding the Lord of our transgression when he has already tossed them away and said, I don't see that. I see you through my son, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we became perfect. It's, not, it's never going to happen. While we were sinners, God set his plan from eternity past into the future that it'd be by Christ and his death on the cross that we would gain acceptance by him and into heaven. And so what an incredible passage. I've never looked at this before, but it's a great Christmas passage, isn't it? It really is. The kindness of God sending his son to this earth to be born a baby. But he died on that cross for you and I that we might have fellowship and have eternal life.